My name is Erin McFadden, and I'm the Children's Ministry Director here at Christ Central Church. And before I go into the scripture reading, I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped out with our one-day family VBS yesterday. And thank you to the families who came, and big thank you to Corey and all of the youth who helped out and all of our uh, other volunteers. We had a great time and just am thankful for everyone who came and participated. Um, so this morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. As uh, our children's director, Ed McFadden, read the scripture for us, I know she thanked all the volunteers. Uh, as you all know, she has definitely put in so much work, and it's, it's, it's not easy to do children's ministry with pandemic. Uh, my family had a chance to come yesterday. Uh, we were served in many ways, and we were challenged. The gospel was shared yesterday beautifully, uh, not just to our children, for all the families. So before we begin, let's... Um, I know it's not, we're not praising Erin, but we want to show appreciation by giving her a round of applause for all the work she has done as well. Thank you, Aaron, for your faithfulness, and I uh, just want to thank you all for your faithfulness as well as you think about what it means to serve our children together. It's not an easy process for us to go through as you think about loving our children well um, and to serve them during this time of COVID. And we know that as um, our elders shared with us this morning, and we're thinking about what it means for us to keep you all safe during this time, to think about what it means to serve our children as well as our uh, children during this time, we pray and uh, hang in there with us as we wrestle with what it means to serve and to share um, with our children and provide the care that we need during this time as well. My name is Josh Kim. I'm an assistant pastor here at Christ Central Church, and we are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. As we get to Gospel of Mark chapter 14. We have two more chapters to go after that. If you just don't know how many chapters there are in the Gospel of Mark, we will be ending the Gospel of Mark series towards the end of August. 
And in September, we'll begin something new with also our pastor coming back from sabbatical as well. Someone once said that the world remembers the spectacular action that is done in the shortest time possible. The world often remembers a spectacular action that's been done in the shortest time possible. But, on the other hand, God remembers a long action, mundane thing that's been done faithfully for a long period of time. I repeat, the world remembers a spectacular action done in a short amount of time possible, while God remembers mundane actions done faithfully for a long period of time. Perhaps this truth is explained best in thinking about the Olympics 100-meter race. And none other than the greatest, Hussein Bolt, who signified the fastest man alive for quite some time. And according to 2016 BBC article, it says that Hussein Bolt has been running only for 114 seconds in the Olympic finals. Little less than two minutes at that. Little less than two minutes I've just been speaking for now. And if you include all the preliminaries that he ran, that comes out to about 325 seconds at most, a little under five and a half minutes at that. And since he has earned nine gold medals during 325 seconds, that comes out to a gold medal every 36 seconds that he ran. Just imagine that. Pretty spectacular, a special result and story at that. And we all remember that, don't we not? We celebrate that for sure. But beneath all those 325 seconds is the years of training and the sacrifice and the discipline, the mundane mornings he gets up to practice, to give his time to watch his diet. Behind the spectacular moment was a long, long time of ordinary, everyday training that he has put in to run those 325 seconds. The story we find in Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, we see a moment that stands out. In fact, Christ is the one who says, this story will be told in memory of her every time the Gospel is preached. In many ways, we are fulfilling that prophecy that Christ gives because we are talking about her story this morning. And it is sandwiched in between the Jesus' teaching and Jesus' death on the cross that is coming in the chapter 15. We're in the thick of the journey, right, in gospel. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. Soon, right after this story, Jesus will be betrayed by his best, one of the close friends and a disciple in that Judas. Before the Lord's Supper, before the prayer at Garden of Gethsemane, before suffering on the cross for our sins, there is this story that we find, an encounter with a woman. And in the words of Christ, the story that will be told in the memory of her for generation to come. One can easily say this is the most spectacular story of them all. However, beyond the surface of it all, we also see the most ordinary story 
that is told, a story of devotion, sacrifice, worship. That is something that we're called to do daily by all of us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Two points at that. First, we'll look at the story and look at the story unlike any other. But on the other hand, we also look at the story just like any other story that we find in the gospel this morning. First point we look at is that this story is a story unlike any other. And that's not hard to see, isn't it, as we look at this anointing story we find in gospel of Mark chapter 14. There are things that really highlight how this story stands apart in its own way. And first thing we all tend to go to as disciples did was how expensive this time, this perfume was that was poured down upon Christ. That's what we find in chapter 14, verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with the alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. The scripture says very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. It's not opening up and pouring a little bit, broke it, literally pouring everything over his head. And later on, we find out how much it would have cost during the time. It says more than 300 denarii in verse 5. The costly perfume here is identified as nard, aromatic oil extracted from the root native to India at the time. Keep in mind that this is pre-Amazon, where you click and it comes in about a matter of hours these days. If you were thinking about ordering or getting something like this from India, imagine the travel and the cost it, create, it, it required to create this. And we're told again that this costs more than 300 denarii. And given that one denarii was a day's wage for an average worker at the time, that means this alabaster flask of oil or nard was a full year's salary. Imagine that using your entire year's salary on one moment of worship, one moment of anointing Christ, this is definitely not a story like any other. Second thing we see that this was the only anointing Jesus received as he goes to the cross. That often gets overlooked again is in Mark chapter 16. We find after Christ is risen from the dead, Two women are heading towards the tomb, and the little detail says they have the oil to anoint Christ's dead body, but they fail spectacularly to do so. You know why, right? Because he's not there. So this is the only time, only time that he is anointed for his death. Another thing we need to highlight from this spectacular story is that this is a woman, woman, that anoints Jesus in the midst of all the disciples that are gathered. In a society and a time where women were often not given a proper place and a voice, here is a woman who is anointing Christ and preparing him for the burial. Here is a woman among all the men who are gathered, being commanded by Christ. Here is a woman who, despite the distaste of the, the, distaste of the disciples, who complained about the cost in verse 5 in Greek, it literally means they snorted. They were angry. They were fuming at the action. And there's a fly here. There's action that was done by the disciples at the time. But in the midst of all that, Christ 
defends her, more so praises her. Here is this woman who is often marginalized, unseen in the society, sees Jesus clearly and gets it more than anyone else in that room. Gets it more than anyone else seeing what is going to happen, who they are with. A spectacular story at that. And finally, we see this is a spectacular moment. Story unlike any other, because chapter 15 and 16 are coming. Now, do we know that she knew what was going to happen to Christ? That she was, in fact, preparing his body for the burial? Some scholars debate and say, yes, Christ has given her a special insight, prompting her to get, her bo- get his body ready for this. While some scholars would say, actually, this is more spontaneous act of worship, anointing out of love for Christ that is happening here. But either way you see it, this is the burial prep moment as Jesus is about to head to the cross. Chapter 15 and 16 is coming, church. And this is a special moment in chapter 14 where Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The word there, a beautiful thing in Greek, is used, kalos. It is not another common Greek word that's often used for beauty, agathos. Agathos means intrinsically good, but kalos means beautifully good. What Christ is saying is what she has done, disciples and those who are watching at the time, what she has done something that is beautifully good, so good, She's anointing my body, an act of costly, humble devotion. All these factors indicate to us that this is one spectacular moment, church. A story unlike any other. An act of devotion done by a woman marginalized. In verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, whatever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, he says, what she has done will be told in the memory of her. Scholars also point out that the the perfume like this is also a savings account of the time for a rainy day. Some people will buy this and keep it. When something bad happens, they'll sell it to make the ends meet. Some even point to the personal savings for their death, as archaeologists commonly found similar broken jars next to the tomb at the time. So what we could see is that women's anointing is not only for one moment of worship here, but it also indicates a full devotion, dependence, giving of all of herself. It's not merely an expensive jar of perfume, but she is presenting herself, not only her present, but the future at the foot of the cross. Church, there's a simple lesson for us to be learned here. A simple lesson that often taught throughout the history of the church as her story is told time and time again. The costly, the humble devotion of the woman in this event. And what it means for us today as we come to worship the Lord is the humble, the costly devotion of worship that Christ calls us to. And the question for us as we wrestle with this text is, are we seeing the cost that is put in place for us here? Are you expected to bring, are you expecting to bring your alabaster jar of treasures as you come before the Lord? Whatever that may be that you hold on to dear in your heart, And I'm not just talking about finances here. As disciples points it out, it is much deeper than that, as we see. 
It is much deeper than just expensive, pure, nard. It is talking about the heart, your alabaster jar of heart that you bring to Christ. Church, we're in a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 15 is coming. Suffering of Christ is coming. The cross of Christ is coming. And what we know and experience for those who have followed Christ is that Christian life is going to be hard. It is going to be costly. Yes, we have moments of joy and celebration, and we do not grieve like those without hope, as 1 Thessalonians 4 chapter tells us. But we know from our experience and our testimony to follow Christ like this, to surrender your life, is not easy. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, as Pastor Mari reminded us a couple weeks ago, that's not an easy call at all. What about the strange relationships you and I have because of our convictions? The jobs that you and I have to suffer, the money you have to sacrifice to give up in order to not cut corners while everyone is doing so, to give sacrificially to the cause of serving and loving others, the names you're called because of the one you follow, the relationships, the heartaches that are broken as a result of your conviction in Christ. Here is a woman who demonstrates the costliness of carrying your own cross and following after him. And get this, church. Even in the midst, even among so-called disciples at the time, those who should be leading this was mocking her. Those who should be embracing and demonstrating was in fact the ones that are pushing her out, scoffing at her. Even amongst that, she's willing, surrender, and worshiping. The question for us again this morning that flows out of this is, are you worshiping our God like this? Do you come to worship as you walk with Christ? Is your life marked by this type of worship? alabaster jar-breaking type of devotion to the Lord. And the question is, why does it have to be so costly for us to follow Christ? Why is it so costly for us? Church, see what is at stake here. See what is her worship focused on. New Testament theologian Derek Thomas points this out. The fight, the struggle that we see here is not just merely about the cost of alabaster jar. This story is not just about Jesus saying simply, preach the gospel only. Let's not help out the poor. I'm here. Worship me only. That's not what he's saying here because we know he cares. He cares for the poor. He feeds them. He cares for them. He dresses them. Rather, this is about the struggle for eternity. Not only is this woman laying down to worship as we see, we see Satan at work because chapter 15 is coming. The costliness of alabaster jar is the final straw, as we see, for Judas, who had been scheming and planning, allowing sin to eat away in his heart. The verse 10 and verse 11, immediately following this story, says this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Surely his mind is at work as he's seeing this pure, expensive jar of alabaster broken at the foot of Christ. And here he's thinking, instead of seeing this perfume being wasted, surely he's thinking what I could do with that money. 
There's a reason why the story of expensive perfume is followed by immediately a betrayal of Judas for 30 pieces of silver. You see, church, our, our worship has to be costly because what is at stake here? What is at stake here, church, is not merely a jar, a perfume. What is at stake here in our worship is your life. Our eternity is at stake. Your heart's devotion is at stake. Who you are, your identity, your eternal destiny is at stake here in worship. When we give ourselves what we sacrifice, what we give, our cherish, it reveals to us what we value, what we hold on to. Just take a quick moment to do an inventory in your heart. What are things that you desperately hold on to these days? What are some things that you treasure in your heart? That you say, no, 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 Lord, not this. Everything else but this. What are some things that are so valuable that you dare not even touch it or break it at the foot of the cross? What are some things that you try to hold up that you dare not let somebody else speak into that, let alone God break that into your life? Even the good things as we see here, as even the good things as the disciples seem to indicate, helping the poor. Church, it could be families, it could be our future, it could be our acceptance. It all can replace Christ at the moment. Here's someone that we come around. Here's someone while we gather on Sunday morning. The worship is our moment to break our alabaster jars and lay them down at the foot of the cross. So that means, church, every Sunday morning is our spectacular moment to declare that truth. We don't merely gather to check off boxes. We don't merely gather to feel good about ourselves walking out of this place. We don't merely feel better about coming to church and saying, oh, well, I went to church. You did not. Rather, we come to a place like this to worship the Lord. We watch online as much as we can. We try our best to demonstrate to our kids the importance of worship. It's not only because we want to feel good about ourselves, because it is your spectacular moment in the history of the gospel to place God above all. To say, I want to worship the Lord above all else. And this is my moment of break alabaster jar at the foot of the cross. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that, church? That this is your moment of worship. Your story, like, unlike any other, it calls us to put down our alabaster jar to worship him this morning. Amen? Amen. On one hand, we see this moment of spectacular worship. On the other hand, we also see this story just like any other story that is told in the gospel. This story is a moment of spectacular worship, but this story is also just like any other story we have heard. What we see again in this story is a spectacular worship. It's not just for this moment. Not only call for this woman, but it flows out of the woman's daily, ordinary worship at that. And it is the same call for us to live just like it, and thus, this is also a story just like any other story that you and I go through every single day. What I mean is this. The cost of following Christ is not something that only this woman is showing us, demonstrating for us. I would argue that rather this, here is a woman who understood what Jesus has been teaching disciples all along. Meaning, yes, this may be a spontaneous moment of worship for her, 
but it is also something that's been building up throughout her life, something that she has been wrestling with, listening and following. Here is a woman who is sitting at the foot of the cross. Here is a woman who is sitting at the foot of Christ and listened. Unlike the disciples who consistently didn't get it, as we see throughout the gospel here, she got it. She heard this from the beginning of the cost to follow him. Remember Mark chapter 1, verse 17? When Jesus calls the disciples to follow him, he says, lay down everything that you got and follow me. Remember back in Mark 2, 14, Jesus says same to Levi and says, hey, tax collector, lay down everything behind and follow me. Now that's just the start. Isn't this just the teaching that we have heard throughout the gospel of Mark? Chapter 3, verse 33 and 35, Jesus says, not your physical family but the one who does the will of God is my family. Breaking the old traditional ties to say my family includes those who does my will. Mark chapter 6 verse 4, Jesus says there's no honor for a prophet in his hometown. Mark chapter 6 verse 28 through 29, John the baptizer, the one who proclaimed and prepared the way of Christ, is beheaded, martyred, not given a high place in a political kingdom, rather he's martyred for Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, 38, Jesus is called to follow. If you want to follow me, take your cross and follow. How more clear can you not get than that? Mark chapter 10, verse 25, 26, the rich young ruler, to give up everything that you have, your wealth and all that, and follow me. Mark chapter 12, verse 33 to 35, command to love others just like you do to yourself. And Mark chapter 13, verse 9 through 13, clearly Jesus says you will be hated, hated for the gospel. Church, did you hear the gospel preached to you this past several months from gospel Mark? This is normal, isn't it? Did you hear that? Or have you missed it? the costliness of following Christ. Have you ever missed this in your walk with Christ? As Pastor David Yoram reminds us, this is a consistently normal call for the disciples, and many around the world today are experiencing this. I know many of our hearts are broken for those in Afghanistan. Many of our hearts are broken, those in Haiti. Many of our hearts are broken for those who are persecuted around the world. Church, this is something quite normal for all of us to follow. This is quite normal for all who wish to follow Christ, for this woman and for all of us. Please know that I'm not saying that you're called just like this woman or just like the two apostles. They have a special call and a moment in the gospel history. But the principle of costliness of following Christ is universal for all who follow after our Savior. After all, don't you hear Paul's appeal in Romans chapter 12? I appeal to you, therefore, church, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, bodies, as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, right? You know what living sacrifice means in Greek? Living sacrifice. (laughs) Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This is it. This is your life call. Please know that I'm not downplaying the difficulty of living for Christ. It means a lot. And I know that you and I have suffered a lot this past year. I'm not downplaying any of that. But I also do believe the biggest enemy of Christianity in America 
I believe is convenience, comfort, and my way. We're so used to Amazon Christianity, right? We want Amazon church that deliver and give what we want when we want it in a box, nicely packaged church. And when we don't get it, we're not okay with that. And that's an understatement. We tend to leave and look for something that fits our desires better. Most of the time, we move on. We click away, move on to something else that fits our context better. And this may be a little controversial, but I'm going to say it because I believe in it. Sometimes we overvalue community for community's sake. Please hear me out. I'm not saying that finding community is not important. I want you to find community. I need to find community. We need to build our church's community. That's why we do life at Christ Central. But sometimes you and I only seek out community for community's sake. We want friends. We want my best friend to go to my church. Again, all the great things. But church, where in the scripture have you found that? Where does the Bible say, go find the community of believers that you can hang out with, feel good about yourself, hang out together, and be happy and jolly all your life? Gospel never calls us to that. God's church has to be marked by the vision and the mission laid out by the gospel. And you, the church, must be convinced and follow the vision and that mission. And as you follow Jesus' call in your life, as you pursue that, you'll find others around you that are also responding to that call. And that's a community. Because we're all looking to Christ to lead us, and as you walk with them, there will be others around you to walk together. That's gospel-centered community, Jesus-centered community we're talking about. And that's what disciples does, don't they? All different, but coming together, not because they had a lot of things in common, but because Christ calls them. Jesus didn't call disciples friends because they hung out 24-7, ate together, and did a lot of fun stuff together. He calls them friends because he suffered for them. He called them friends because they walked with them. He called them friends because he had a race that's marked out for them. Oftentimes, the race that was marked out ended in martyrdom for them. He called them friends, and he called them to the vision, to the life. And guess what happened to disciples after Christ left? They didn't build a mega church. They scattered to build a church. They scattered and went where the gospel went and community of Christ's believers were built in the places God planted them. Church, this is the legacy of the church of Christ you and I stand today. Our everyday normal story has to be this testimony to follow Christ daily to listen, to obey, to worship with all of our life. This is not just a momentary call in your gospel life. This is a call every day, every moment. Normal gospel call, ordinary story that everyone who followed Christ must embrace. But church, you know what's amazing about this story? The amazing gospel in this story? Because this is not just about do better or do more. Don't you feel that too? When you see this woman breaking the LFS jar, of oil at the foot of Christ, we were thinking, oh my goodness, so what do I have to break, right? Like, can I really do this? Should I go on missions? Should I give up my salary? What? Wow, this is a lot. We feel the burden of that. 
But this is not about that. There's a grace of God that we have to embrace in this story. The question that you and I have to ask is, how did this woman come to this? How is she able to respond and worship like this? And church, this is a grace that you and I must embrace here. And here's a grace that our children's director, Ms. McFadden, um, shared with our families yesterday at VVS. And I want to quote her, because I want you to know that she taught the gospel so clearly, and I was ministered, many of us are ministered by that. She said that apart from seeing and knowing Jesus, we cannot hope. Apart from Christ being our only light, we cannot respond in worship. And herein lies grace that you and I also must grasp. In a parallel account in John 12, when this story is told, the identity of this woman is actually shared with us. And this woman is no other than Mary of Bethany. Do you know who that is? You know who that is. She is a sister of Martha and Lazarus. I believe seeing this gives us a glimpse of why she breaks the jar at Jesus' feet. Remember this Mary church? This is that Mary who knew something about sitting at Jesus' side. This is that Mary that sat at the foot of Christ while her sister was busy doing things. This was that Mary that knew the importance of listening, following, being with Christ. Not only so, this is that Mary who saw her brother die. This is that Mary who saw her brother lay in the tomb lifeless. This is that Mary who told Jesus that if he was here, her brother would have not died. This is Mary who is beloved, loved by Christ, who weeps in her pain. This is Mary who saw her Savior weep with her. This is that Mary church who watched her Savior rise and command the brother to walk out with a simple command. This is the Mary who sings hallelujah, praise the Lord at the side of her brother Lazarus walking out. This is that Mary who worships in the awe of the power of Jesus at work. Church, this is that Mary who saw, experienced, and tasted the goodness of the Lord. This is that Mary who knows that life on earth is temporary, but the life with Jesus is eternal. This is that Mary who is overwhelmed, overcome by the gospel of grace. This is Mary who knew that knowing Jesus, following Jesus is far greater than anything else this world has to offer. Church, she knows it. Not only she heard it, but she experienced it. She saw it. She tasted it. Now she's merely testifying to it. This is Mary's testimony, church, and the testimony leads to worship. Church, when you experience this kind of grace in your life, you cannot help but to lay everything down and break your alabaster jar of perfume. That's what the Apostle Paul says to us, doesn't he? In Philippians chapter 3, I indeed, I count everything as laws because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, 
any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. Talk about testimony of alabaster jar breaking declaration of worship. Alabaster jar breaking confession of faith. You can only worship like Mary does here. Confess like Apostle Paul does here in Philippians in a jail cell of all places. Only when you come and taste the goodness of the Lord. Oh, church, if you have tasted the grace this morning, say amen. Have you tasted the grace of God like this? And do you want to respond in worship? And respond to that church. Worship the Lord. Break the alabaster jar at the foot of the cross. Not just the day you saw the Lord for the first time, but every day, every moment. You know what? Sometimes when we talk about the testimonies at church, we often talk about the moment I met Christ. And that was like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But we don't have daily, daily moments of testimony that flows out. What we're called to testify is, yes, talk about the moment that you saw Christ for the first time, but continue to flow out of every single day as these mercies are new every morning for us to taste the goodness of the Lord in our ordinary days of life as a believer, not only on Sunday mornings as we raise our hands and declare my life is built on Christ, but on the Monday morning in front of a computer screen, with our crying child with dirty diapers, in the mornings as we walk into the school, in the mornings as we walk into difficult relationships, our testimony flows out, alabaster jars broken, and say we love him because he first loved us. That's what motivates us. That's what flows out into worship. That's everyday story for those who follow Christ. I talked about my grandma here before, as she's the one that has made an impact in my life in small ways. In perhaps most ordinary ways than not, a woman that did not learn how to write until later in her age. Remember, in my college days, I would used to come home and my grandma would have my life planned out for me. And what I mean by my life planned out is not about my future, but about uh, where to go, because she didn't know how to drive, she didn't have a license. So I had a license to drive, so my life planned out, meaning during my vacation time, she would say, we go here, 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 here. And I'm like, hey, it's my vacation, but all right, I got to do it because I got to be a good grandson. And one time, I remember, she said, we need to go and eat this food. And I was thinking, yes, finally a break from all this mundane errands that we're running. And we got to this place, a restaurant, a small restaurant at that. And there was someone waiting for us at the table. And I sat there, and I ate my meal that my grandma bought, and she had this amazing conversation with this young man. And as we were leaving, he said thank you to her and thank you to me. And I didn't know who he was, all kind of different uh, questions. I was like, why are we meeting this person? Why are we buying for this person? This person seems so happy. And as he was walking away, he said, the, my mission work will continue on. Thanks for this meal. And later on, I found out he was a missionary on a furlough in the States. And here was my grandma, who wanted to, who wanted to buy him a meal. And of course, there's always those folded bills, right? He got out, uh, she got out her folded bills, dollar by dollar by dollar. And she paid the meal. No one recognizes that. No one knew the cost of that meal. 
But here was a woman that saved a dollar after dollar to merely buy a meal. Her alabaster jar broken to serve God's mission work. She simply said, why did you buy? Because he's doing God's work. I think that is what it means to worship church. New Testament theologian D.A. Carson writes a wonderful book for many aspiring pastors, a book called Memoir of an Ordinary Pastor. Here he writes about his father, who was not a famous pastor at that. But I love to read this quote from you about a man who grew up, did not make it too far in his career, but this is why he writes to end the book. He says, when he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mention in parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dead one entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him who he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Your ordinary act of worship headed towards the throne room of our King. Let's pray. What is your alabaster jar that you hold treasure in your heart, church. As we experience the goodness of the Lord, as we hear the gospel, let's come, break it at our Savior's feet this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that is so evident at the foot of the cross. We're reminded again that your call to follow is not merely just momentary spectacular worship, it's not merely only on Sunday mornings, nicely packaged away in an hour and a half service, but it's a daily call that you call us, especially true ever so these days in our homes with our crying child, with the pressure and the the heartaches of work, the difficulties of being in school, feeling isolated, distanced. Father, it's hard for us at times to count the costs. But Lord, as we look to the cross and see the grace of God, the mercy that is so ever so available, Father, may we experience the grace of God and break our alabaster jar at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord. In Christ, let me pray. Amen.